Hi, my name is Lane McKittrick, and I'm the co-founder of the Hearsay Hope Foundation with my husband, Todd. I wanted to spend some time today sharing our experiences um, in raising um, our two boys that have Usher syndrome, and in particular, talk about um, our experiences in working with their IEP teams. So a little bit of background about our family. There's more on the Hearsay Hope website, some videos and things like that. But just a little bit of background. Um, we have four boys. Um, Connor is almost 19, and he um, has Usher syndrome 1B. Uh, Cole is 17. Hunter is 11. And then Dalton is almost 10, and he also has Usher syndrome 1B. Both um, Connor and Dalton were both born profoundly deaf, uh, started to um, have some vision loss, um, night blindness symptoms at the age of three to five, and were also um, have significant vestibular um, delays, um, were late walking, sitting, and also still kind of work with through those vestibular challenges today. Um. So currently, Connor, um, based on his last eye exam, has about 15 degrees of vision left. And um, Dalton um, currently just has um, night vision issues and also has a few blind spots throughout his vision, but overall um, not too much vision loss at this point at the age of almost 10. Um, I'm interested in this topic. Um, I have had a lot of experience working with IEP teams. And what I found out is that um, a lot of times, you know, it, it's stressful in trying to advocate for your child because um, I know for myself, I didn't know a lot about deaf blindness, um, anything about Usher syndrome. And so, and at the time um, that Connor was diagnosed, you know, there wasn't a lot of resources on the internet. Um, I There wasn't a lot of the Usher Syndrome Coalition didn't exist at the time. And it was really difficult to try to find families to connect with um, and, and try to find information and knowledge, you know, to have that knowledge so that you knew how to help your kids. And so I really want to try to help other families be able to um, find ways to advocate for their kids and um, in trying to find out how to meet their their kids' needs um, because that dual sensory loss really um, can make an impact in the classroom. So um, a little bit about that dual sensory loss. Um, you know, what I've found over the years, um, in particular in those younger years where the vision loss isn't too significant, is that I think often people misunderstand um, what that, the impact of that dual sensory loss can be. Um, for our children, you know, they um, they both have received cochlear implants, and they hear with cochlear implants. And in school, um, they have FM systems that the teachers wear to help them um, to be able to hear and um, get all the information that they need in the classroom. So, you know, from a from just looking at them, you think that you know, well, their hearing loss they can hear in the classroom um, unless things are really loud. And, um, you know, their vision isn't significantly impacting their ability to um, be successful in the classroom. And so if you just take those two things um, alone, you think that, you know, they don't really need a lot of accommodations and modifications and services, but it just depends on the situation. Um, it depends um, what the lighting is like, how loud it is. 
Um, There's many things that could impact. It could be how tired they are during the day, the topic that's being discussed during the day, um, if they're sick, um, tons of things can impact, um, you know, what's going on in the classroom for them. And I think that's often misunderstood um, by both the teachers and um, all the adults and people that are working with them. Sometimes they just don't understand that. Um, so it's important, I think, um, for IEP teams to work together um, collaboratively. Um, it's really important for somebody to be on the team who's knowledgeable about deaf blindness and that dual sensory loss. Um, but because it's a low incidence disability, um, well, a lot of times there isn't someone in the district that um, has knowledge about deaf blindness on the team. So parents and families, um, you know, oftentimes feel like they're the ones that need to be um, knowledgeable and bring that expertise to the team. Um, so I think it's important to really clarify those roles and, um, you know, who's bringing the knowledge and, and each each team member should respect each person's role and the knowledge that they bring because oftentimes the IEP teams are are larger. There might be an audiologist, a speech and language pathologist, um, an OTPT, um, a vision, um, a teacher of the visually impaired, an O&M orientation and mobility specialist, O&M specialist, um, and, and other and other team members. And each team member has an important role to play um, in that child's education, as well as the parents and the, and the rest of the family. So I think just respecting, it's really important to respect each person's role and make sure that they're equal members of the team. Because the student has, um, no matter who it is, has individualized needs and um, that could look very different than another child who is also deafblind. So for us, um, you know, it was a little bit stressful um, because our team was great, but we just didn't have anyone in the district that had a lot of experience working with children who are deafblind. Um, and so this required um, me to become an advocate and be knowledgeable, become knowledgeable about deaf blindness, about Usher syndrome and about what it meant, connect with other families who had been through similar situations or were going through the same situation as I was. And um, throughout that, I, um, I've, I learned so much um, about deaf blindness, about working with IEP teams, uh, about the impacts of the dual sensory loss, about vision loss, about deafness. I learned, I've met so many amazing people and families along the way. Um, and it led me to go back to school to learn even more um, because I realized that it is such a low incidence disability and um, we just we need more people to be knowledgeable about deafblindness and that dual sensory loss. So, you know, I had a little bit of an aha moment um, as Connor was transitioning. Over the years, I had been attending um, most of Connor's IEP meetings by myself, um, and he wasn't involved. And I think it just came down to the fact that, you know, I was so tired and I was just, I had spent so much time um, advocating for him that I sort of forgot that he really should be involved as well. Um, And it was an aha moment because he 
was the age of transition. And so they invited him to the meeting. Um, but they invited him. So I brought him and thinking that he was going to be participating actively in the meeting. Um, but that was, that was not the case. He was just invited. Um, the only part of the meeting in which he was asked to participate was when we got to the part of the IEP and they all turned to him and said, Connor, what do you want to do after high school? And he wasn't prepared for that question. And, um, he was like, I, like any teenager, I, I don't know. I guess I want to be an oceanographer because he had just seen an oceanography video. And they wrote that down and then they went around their merry way and started writing down the rest of the IEP. And he wasn't asked to participate in any other way in the IEP meeting, transition meeting. That was it. Um, so you know, IDEA states that students are need to be invited to participate at the age of transition. Um, I would argue that they should actively participate in those meetings at that point in time, and that's what the intent of IDEA was. Um, but he really didn't know what um, he had very little knowledge of IEPs and his plan. Um, at the time, you know, his team was making decisions for him and he didn't really, I mean, he had some idea of what his accommodations were, but, and he was doing great in the classroom. Um, and he, he's always been a strong self-advocate, so it wasn't a problem, but it was stressful on me. And, and it was stressful on me in particular because I felt like I was the most knowledgeable one on the team about deaf blindness. And that's when the aha moment came about. I, I realized that, well, actually, he's 16 years old. He's the most knowledgeable one about deafblindness on this team, not me. And so I thought, well, how can I reduce stress, um, my stress, and teach him how to do this himself, teach him how to oversee the IEP team, IET, IEP process himself, and advocate for his needs um, in the meetings, just like he does in the classroom. And so I spent some time really going over IDEA, the IEP process, and teaching him, you know, what he needed to know in order to actively participate meaningfully in those IEP meetings. Um, and since then, um, he has led his last two IEP meetings at the age of 17 and 18, and it's been amazing. Um, there, there have been many benefits um, I feel like the IEP is more student focused. Um, he's making decisions for himself. Um, his IEP goals are now aligned with his post-secondary plans of being, of, of being a geneticist. When he first looked at his IEP at the age of 16, when I was going over it with him, I said, well, here's your IEP, the goals that are in his IEP. And he looked at me and he says, well, those don't relate to my plans of being a geneticist. Um, and that's, I think that's great. Now that they're now they're very aligned with his plans, and he had major input on de uh, determining what those goals were going to be. Um, I feel like the team dynamics have shifted. There's more equal power um, distributed, so all the team members, including myself and Connor, we're all equal members of that team, and we all have different roles to play in supporting him in being successful in his education. 
Um, and there's benefits for the family. I feel like um, I have less stress. Um, it's allowed me to focus on other things. Um, I can focus on really supporting him on being a good, um, strong self-advocate for himself. Um, I can focus on teaching him to be self-determined, to make decisions for himself. Um, and I find joy in being able to teach him how to do those things um, instead of me doing it for him. Um, I now see he's going off to college next year, and I can see the strong self-advocate, self-determined um, individual that he is, and I know he'll be successful as he transitions to college. Um, right now, he's taking several college courses, and he's advocating at the college um, with the disability office by himself. Um, and you know, he comes to me if he has questions, but he's doing it all by himself, and it's going really, really well. And so, those are benefits for me too. So instead of feeling that stress, like it's all on me. Um, it's been really great because that transition where I shifted that to him and he's been very successful in being able to, um, being able to do that himself. So I got to thinking, well, that's, that's worked so well for Connor. What could, what would that look like for Dalton? Um, I began researching this topic because I wondered, well, could Dalton be, involved in his IEP at the age of nine. What would this look like and how how do I make this happen? And I realized the key was self-determination. Um, I realized that no one was fostering self-determination um, at school. It wasn't part of his IEP um, and the team really was unfamiliar with self-determination. But I really realized that self-determination and fostering those skills for Connor was really what that self-determination, that self-advocacy skills is what helped him to be successful in um, being an active participant in leading his IEP meetings. And I really started to think about how do we teach Dalton to those same skills? And it may look, it looks different at the younger ages, but it's still possible. And, um, so we went ahead and met, when we met with the, the IEP team, we added some self-determination um, goals and our O&M instructor, instructor is actually working on those goals on a monthly basis with him. And that, from, for a nine-year-old, that's, that's looking like understanding his hearing loss, understanding his vision loss, being able to explain that to others, um, learning how to make decisions for himself, uh, learning how to self-advocate if he needs to sit someplace else in the classroom to be able to feel comfortable talking to his teacher about that. Um, if he can't hear something, if the FM system is not working, to be able to self-advocate for that, um, to be able to describe um, his deaf blindness to his friends, um, to anyone else that's asked him about it. And, you know, he has accommodations and modifications on his IEP. And to be able to talk with the teacher and really indicate when he needs to use those accommodations and modifications. Um, so as a result of all of that, um, I invited Dalton to um, come to his last IEP meeting. And, you know, although he didn't lead the meeting at the age of nine, he attended, he, um, we asked him how his year was going. He shared that with the team and, you know, he wasn't having the best year in the classroom. And um, I think, 
you know, hearing his experiences directly from him really made a difference, then, you know, it's, it was different than hearing it from me. And so it was very positive. I think that the whole team really had a better understanding of what his needs were and he could better explain it. And he, it's helping him to be a better self, a stronger self-advocate for himself. And so as a result of him attending that last meeting and participating and sharing his experiences, his experiences in the classroom since that point have been um, much better. He and his teacher have come up with a plan to um, determine when he needs to use his accommodations and modifications. Um, they've figured out a, a way without disrupting the rest of the class to be able to give her a cue or a sign that she, you know, so she knows that the FM system is not on or that he can't see or hear something. Um, so it's been great. So what does the future hold for all of this? Um, we're going to be, we're going to continue to build on these skills with Dalton. And, um, my hope is that we'll just continue to support both Dalton and Connor in their efforts to become self-determined and self-advocates and, um, learn how to work with their educational planning teams themselves. Um, I hope to show other families the benefits of student involvement in IEPs. Um, from my experience, there's less conflict. There's um, more clarity on roles if students are involved. The IEPs become more student-focused. It's easier to promote self-advocacy if students know what's in their IEP. Um, you know, it's it's hard for them to know, you know, what, that they, what they have the ability to ask for if they don't even know what their IEP goals and their accommodations and modifications are that are available to them. And um, student involvement in their IEP is a good way to teach and foster self-determination. So I want to, I really want to find out if other families have the same experiences. Do other families see the benefits of actively involving their students in their IEPs? And is this happening in elementary school? And if we give our students the skills to participate in the education planning, will it allow parents to shift their focus from feeling like we need to advocate for our kids just ourselves, um, which can sometimes be stressful and lonely, um, to supporting our children as they advocate for themselves and became, become more involved in their own educational planning. Um, and so those are my, uh, some of my focuses in the next year. Um, some advice to families. I think what was the most important to me is that realizing that you need to, you do need to take time to grieve and find other families to connect with as you work through those different stages of grief and as you advocate for your child. Um, Usher syndrome, you know, is each year looks different. The vision loss looks different. Um, the vestibular dysfunction might change. Um, you know, everything looks different every year. And so it's, it, it poses challenges to the IEP team. And sometimes you just really have no idea how to help um, and how to make your child successful, um, help them be successful in the classroom. And so connecting with families and really building those relationships is, has been really helpful. And I think enjoying the gifts that your child has. I mean, for, for me, I, um, the thing that helped me the most is when Connor got to the age where he was able to share with me and say, mom, I am okay with who I am. And 
don't be sad about it. Um, there's a reason that this all happened and I'm here to help others and I can do anything that I set my mind to. And so just help support me in doing that and don't feel, don't feel bad about it. And so I know that I approach every day enjoying the gifts that my kids have. And so that would be my advice. And then also just taking time for yourself. I don't do very well at that, but I think it's also really important. Um, and it's still a goal for myself. Um, my advice to educators is to do all you can to understand the unique needs of a child like Dalton and Connor. Um, understand that you might not know all the answers and um, treat those families as equal members of the team and appreciate the knowledge that the families have and that they bring to the table about their child's deaf blindness um, because it, looks di- it can look different for every student. And find ways to involve students in their IEPs and help teach those students how to be strong self-advocates. So, you know, it can look different. I mean, at the, a really young age, just inviting them, you know, um, having them put something together, even pictures or anything about their experiences in the classroom and teaching them how to just share a small piece on how the year is going. Um, all of that's going to just help them when they get to the age of transition and um, they need to start aligning those goals for post-secondary as well. So I hope this has all been very helpful. Um, and please feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions at all. Um, I'm happy to help in any sort of way. You can um, you can email me at um, the, the email address is also on our website, www.hearseehope.com. And my email address is lane, L-A-N-E, at here, H-E-A-R-C-A-S-E-E, hope, H-O-P-E, dot com. Thank you so much.